Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. And a lot of stars would come in line and pay for their own tickets. They, they, yeah, well, that's they, a New York thing, too. You know, yeah, New York. They totally would. Like Harrison Ford, Robin Williams, you couldn't pull them out of the line. They, right. they didn't mind that, you know, their fans were talking to them or anything. They didn't want anything free. They, they weren't, you know, they, they were great. But anyway, right. so Madonna. That was last week's guest, Joe Masher, chief operating officer of Bowtie Cinemas, returning this week with a story about famous people coming to see movies when he was a manager in New York. And it ends with that teaser about his encounter with Madonna. On the previous show, we ended discussing the challenges of streaming services before talking about his massive collection of vinyl, as well as meeting John Waters and the result of that Madonna tease. Sifter, review of the week. Bardo, false chronicle of a handful of truths. Watching this film brings Fellini's autobiographical masterpiece Eight and a Half to mind in style and approach. This is director Alejandro G. Eneratu's personal examination of life as an artist, and in his case, a Mexican. The documentarian's existential crisis manifests itself in hallucinatory episodes that are sometimes a marvel, like the baby sequence, which is especially beautiful and moving, and other times they're just weird. More traditional dialogue sequences are interspersed to address his personal issues. This is an extremely self-centered film, with some periods that try your patience. Given some of the more spectacular stagings, it's obvious that Inaratu's brilliance as a director is undeniable, even if you have to wade through two hours and 39 minutes for the good parts. I gave Bardo three and a half out of five stars. Now let's get back to our discussion with Joe Masher. He starts by talking about one of the biggest setbacks of streaming services. So piracy is really bad for the industry, and it's cost billions and billions of dollars. When studios take a movie and put it on day-and-date streaming or even streaming and you know, bypass theaters, within seconds, that movie hits the street on Blu-ray, DVD, yep. and they know that. So you know that's one of the biggest reasons right now why the day-and-date streaming has stopped. By and large, I mean, you know, Universal has did it a couple of times recently once with uh, Halloween Ends. Um, was the last one, but Warner Brothers won't do it again. They've announced they're not doing it again. You know, Paramount doesn't do it. Sony certainly doesn't do it. They don't have a streaming service, which is great. For now. Yeah. <laughs> Footnote. Day and date, like it sounds, means that the movie's released on streaming the same date it's released in theaters. We're hopeful that some of the streamers will you know, get a little bit more loose or being able, we at NATO have been able to demonstrate to the streaming services that, you know, taking a movie and just putting it on a streaming service. Yeah, that's great for you. And you might get, a, you know, some subscribers out of it, but you get more awareness for that movie if it's in a theater first and the millions and millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars that you're leaving on the table. It doesn't justify explanation. I mean, I can't figure yeah. out why. It's interesting. They're trying new experiments like this Glass Onion thing right. where they played Netflix play Glass Onion one week only. And when yep. I went there, it was packed from every packed. show. And then they shut it and you have to wait another three weeks for it to drop on Netflix. So that's an interesting new concept. Yes. And hopefully that's an interesting new concept that won't get any further because <laughs> okay. um, hopefully Netflix, and I, I think they realize, and, and they know they're smarter than I'll ever be. They know how much money they left on the table. A couple hundred million dollars with that movie. So the other thing that NATO is working with now, working with filmmakers to craft their deals so that when they go to pitch their movies to studios, they have a clause in there that says this movie has to play in theaters for at least X number of days. Right. So the theatrical window is the amount of time, obviously, that a movie starts in a theater from when it ends and then from the time it ends to when it hits a streaming service or a secondary market. So that theatrical window from opening day to opening day on a streaming service is really important to us. 
pre-pandemic, the window for a movie was an average of about 74 days. Coming out of the pandemic, you know, that really advanced the streamers' plans by about 10 years, the pandemic theater shutdowns did. You know, coming out of that, you know, the windows now, we're lucky if we get 45 days. Um, Certainly, you know, Universal, there was an announcement the other day that was devastating to the industry. The Steven Spielberg movie, Fablemans, they weren't happy with the limited release over Thanksgiving that, you know, the performance of it wasn't what they thought it would be. So now they're putting it on premium VOD on, I think it's December 13th. Footnote. Premium VOD stands for Premium Video On Demand, where subscribers can pay a one-time fee to view content, sometimes simultaneously or even before it's released in theaters. Oh, wow. And it's a wonderful movie, too. Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges is it's a dramatic family story, and a lot of people are like, well, I'd rather see dinosaurs or, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's also, they, they released it over a holiday time. So, you know, how many movies can people go to over a holiday time? Right, right, you know, right, the right. Thanksgiving weekend, they might go to one movie, and they only had 600 runs. So it did yeah. well where it performed. You know, the screen averages weren't bad, and they're still not. It's still doing well. I mean, right, our right, only right. run for it on our in our circuit is in Richmond right now. Oh, okay. You know, speaking of that, you mentioned big screen and how wonderful that is. I was thrilled and thank you all for having my Dirt Woman documentary. I was thrilled to be able to run that for five weeks at at the theater there and in the big theaters, not over in Criterion. And that was great. I mean, not only was great for me, but for people to be able to come and see it on the big screen. Tell you what was interesting because we had a premiere before that uh, for the friends and family. And it was three or 400 people came and I was amazed. They were laughing. I'm like, this movie's a comedy. I never had any idea that there were so many laughs in it until I sat in a theater. So yes, you know, bravo to, to y'all for doing that and to, you know, keeping theaters alive. Now, let me ask you about streaming because you've mentioned it. What are you going to do about it? I mean, I don't know, obviously, what you can do, but what are some of the things that are being ad- due to address that? The, the thing to do is go to filmmakers first and beg them or ask them to put a, a theatrical window into their contract. Thank you, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, so we're we're hoping that happens. Christopher Nolan, Chris Nolan has been a great friend of the right. industry. Tom Cruise, another right. one, right? Um, amazing, amazing advocate for the industry. He wouldn't let Top Gun play anywhere except in theaters for I think it was ninety days. So that was wonderful. wow, wow. And it's kind of cool too because you come in now. At least I do because I obviously see a lot of movies. Some of these big movies, you have the director or some of the actors on screen saying thanks for coming to the theater and watching the movie on the big screen, which is really kind of cool and gratifying too. Yep. Yep. So, you know, starting in March of next year, there seems to be a lot more meat on the film calendar. There's a, what we call tentpole, at least one a week, right through the rest of the year. So it's great. And, you know, we're very, very hopeful that in 2023, the industry will rebound to 2019 numbers. And, you know, 2019 certainly wasn't a model year for the industry. We were down from 2018. It's all related to product. And, and I think that, you know, the, the more stuff that comes out and the more wide appeal things that come out and the more exclusivity we have, the more the business will be back. You know, just get that message out there that movie going is safe. NATO spent millions of dollars in getting that message out there. I did over 127, I think it was 127 TV and radio interviews. Wow. During the pandemic shutdown, trying to get theaters opened. I'm president of the NATO chapter of New York State, and that was the most interesting one because NATO of uh, New York and NATO of LA, New York is two, LA is one, film markets. And those were the last two to reopen. So everybody else got to reopen. But because New York and L.A. weren't open, studios weren't releasing movies, by and large. There were two big ones that came out. One, the first one was Unhinged uh, with Russell Crowe from a new Which was studio. a great movie. It's a shame yeah. it didn't get yeah. the, the promotion that it needed. And then Chris Nolan came out with Tenet. Right. That's Which was meh, story. yeah. <laughs> no, that's another really good story. You know, we had a chain of theaters, of course, and New York City wasn't open. Chris Nolan decided to go forward with Tenet. Most theaters in the U.S. could reopen, but hadn't just because there wasn't any product or tried to with old product and then had to reshut down just because the audiences weren't there for it. So 
I decided myself, instead of sitting in the office every day or just visiting a closed theater, making sure nobody broke in, right. I decided I was going to reopen the Majestic. So I went into downtown Stanford, Connecticut, and I personally reopened one of our theaters to play Tenet. Uh -huh. So we opened the week before with Unhinged, and then we had Tenant. We were the only theater in Stanford, Connecticut, this was, the only theater in the greater New York City uh, area to play Tenant. So I figured, okay, it's not going to be packed because of COVID, but at least we'll be able to, I think at the time we were selling every other seat, keeping people spaced apart. Right. Um, and still, like I said, no COVID in the theater ever. But I, you know, I wasn't able to bring back a lot of staff just because we didn't know how busy we would be, and I didn't want to blow it all on payroll. So right. I uh, literally sold tickets myself. You know, got the movies ready myself, opened the bar myself, <laughs> the kitchen myself, and we had a concession attendant. Uh, seven days a week, got the theater open and running. Uh, we did, I think, three shows a day, like a two o'clock, a five o'clock, and an eight o'clock set, six screen theater. And uh, to keep me in suspense, how did it do? Come on, it, Joe, tell you me. Know, I think the first weekend it did almost $5,000, and we were thrilled. Right. Um, you know, that, that's bad for a normal weekend. But yeah, I was like, mm, really? Okay. People coming up on the train, the Metro North train from the city. It's like a 45 minute ride to Stanford and a five minute walk from the train station. Wow. You know, we, we had the New York Times make sure to put that in the movie ad. You know, the only place playing is this easy access. People were coming up from Jersey, from Long Island, from all the boroughs. And it, it worked out really well for us. And then the next week, I think Jersey got to open. So we put it in our Hoboken Theater, which is even closer to Manhattan. And that helped out a little bit, too. I know there's been some discussion about some other developments on the property. There's some big areas, wooded areas that y'all still own there adjacent to Movie Land. Is that where some of the new theaters are going to go? You got anything else going there? So the area just that I mentioned earlier on Lee Street, just to the south of the theater, was right. sold by the Moss family. We no longer control it. I believe that the new owner, I've, I think I've heard that it's going to be some kind of residential use. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the Moss family still owns and controls the rest of the movie land property. And at this point, there's no plan to change that. That'll be there Not as long all. as you. Good, good. Nope, we're here. As long as people come to the movies, we're here. Terrific. And we'll be coming. I have heard in my research that you are a big vinyl LP fan and you actually have, I see them behind you there. Duke, that's not very many, but I hear you have a few more than that. And you actually own Duke's records. Is that, what's the yeah. deal here, Joe? So my whole life I've collected vinyl records. It started out when I was a baby. Um, my grandmother had a restaurant in upstate New York where I'm from. And my mother would put me in the playpen out in the restaurant while she was helping her mother in the kitchen. They could see me outside the door. The jukebox was right there. So they turned the jukebox on, put a couple of quarters in, play some songs. And I guess I would hold on to the playpen and be mesmerized. Right. So back then, you know, the jukebox owners and operators would come around to each restaurant and change out the records every week or two just to keep it fresh, to keep the, you know, the patrons playing new music all the time. So that jukebox operator, and I wish I knew who he was today. I don't. Uh, he gave my mother all the records that came out. Wow. And he said, that kid is mesmerized by this jukebox. He's going to be really into this someday. Save these for him. So I had my first record player. I think I was three years old. There's so many baby pictures of me holding records in my hand. It's crazy. Wow, that's so great. I always wanted to do a record store. And uh, it's 11 years ago now. I happened to be in one in Rhode Island that I'd been to before, and it was closed. And then I saw this handwritten sign that said, we're going out of business and we'll have one final sale. And the date on it was for the next day. I went to the store and he remembered me and he said, you know, the, these, he gave paper shopping bags and he said, you know, fill the bag 20 bucks. I'm like, okay. Um, and this store was 10,000 square feet, two levels, mostly all vinyl. They had a wall of CDs and a wall of cassettes and a wall of a tracks, believe it or not still, but about 15, 20 minutes into my visit there, he said, I know, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, well, this is what I do. I gave him my card, COO of Bowtie Cinemas. He said, that's really cool. He said, I always wanted to run a movie theater. I said, that's really cool. I always wanted to run a record store. <laughs> so he came back over and he said, how would you like your dream to come true? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you can get all this vinyl out of the store by Friday, 
you can open your own record store wherever you want to. He said, there's a lot of, there are a lot of pieces of vinyl in here, close to, or just over a million pieces. Wow. He said, if you can get all these million pieces of vinyl out of here by Friday, I will sell it all to you for a thousand dollars. Wow. And I was like, where do I sign? Yeah, really? So I thought, okay, yeah, I'll order a couple hundred boxes. We'll be good. No, it took a tractor trailer truck, two days, two wow. trips. Uh, I think it was over 800 boxes, eight or 900 boxes. Where did you put them? I rented two storage units and filled up my two car garage. At that point, you know, my partner and I decided to open a record store. So we named it after my father. My dad's nickname was Duke. So we named it Duke's Records and did an online store at the time. And it was successful. It was too busy. I couldn't keep up with it. So now we're just doing auction sales only. And I have a brick and mortar store in upstate New York. I was talking to Doug Murdoch earlier, preparing for this, and he mentioned that he's been with you more than once on trips. And if there's a used record store anywhere, you got to go there. Oh, yeah. You know, in Richmond, one of my... I was going to say, did you go to Plan... With a name like that, Plan 9 from Outer Space, you got to go, right? Let me tell you about Plan 9. The Plan 9 warehouse, uh, I discovered, it was off of Staples Mill Road. You could walk in there. They had a little showroom. And I met a very great guy who does a Richmond radio show named Gene Pendleton. Footnote. Gene Pimbleton is a longtime DJ on WRIR-FM, where this show is aired. He hosts the British Breakfast on Saturdays from 9 till 11 a.m. He figured out what I wanted, like record-wise, and what I was looking for. And he would take me in the back room and say, go crazy. And, you know, I'd go out and I'd pay him for all my records. And then, you know, he and his wife go to movies and still in touch to this day. That warehouse is gone. Plan 9 still has their one store, I think, on Cary Street. Yep. And yep. I do go there. And I've been to the other Richmond record stores as well. A little plug here. It's the only place where you can buy the DVD of Dirt Woman. Wonderful. <clears throat> they have exclusive sales for that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, in, in my personal collection, I've never stopped collecting vinyl. I have about 20,000 albums and I think I have 22,500 or so 45s with title strips for my jukeboxes. Because I also have seven jukeboxes that I fix. Oh, up. my Lord. Okay. Yeah. They're all loaded with 45s. Yeah. Of course. Great. I don't do CDs or anything else. Right. Right. Only vinyl. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I've been collecting it my whole life. It's an insanity. And what are you going to do with it? Listen to it. That's what I do it now. Okay. Next generation, my nephew's really into vinyl. So if he wants it all, it'll be his. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Joe Masher, the COO of Bowtie Cinemas. What is your favorite genre of movies? So my favorite genre of movies, I have a really, really strange, uh, it's my secret. I'm not a Marvel fan. I love the business they do. I'm not a Star Wars fan. Love the business they do. Right. Uh, Harry Potter, all that stuff, Lord of the Rings. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen a Harry Potter movie, a Lord wow. of the Rings movie. I either like mindless entertainment, like a good jackass movie or something right. like oh, that. Oh, there you go. Always or love I those. Like, or I like independent art films. Yeah. Like Woman. I've seen that like four times already. Oh, wow. John Waters is my favorite director. Um, he's John, making yep. a movie, thank God, coming out of semi, you know, movie making retirement to make his uh, uh, Liar Mouth movie. Can't wait for oh, that. Great. And now you have relationship or a connection with John, don't you? I think you told me some of that. Well, we've met a few times. You know, he came when I was running Lincoln Square. He came to a premiere. Well, actually, it was a cast and crew screening of Donnie Brasco. You know, the movie Crybaby had been done a few years earlier. Right. So Johnny Depp was a star of Donnie Brasco. So, you know, he was there. Everybody's milling about. And I never get starstruck. I really don't. There are a few, just a very few that really got to me. You know, I, I was had my own uh, radio frequency channel. We had walkie talkies with six channels and mine was channel six. So I was about to leave for the day and I hear, Joe, you still there? And it was my now my best friend who was at the time the marketing director for the theater. He said, get up here. John Waters is here. And I said, what? 
and I'd seen John do a couple of lectures, but you know, nothing. And I'd met him at the table, like nervous and everything. All right. So my friend's like, isn't that him? I said, yes. He goes, John. And I said, don't call him. We had a very strict don't bother the stars policy. Right, I didn't right. want to violate that in front of the staff that was there at the concession stand or anything. John Waters turned around and my friend said, this is Joe Masher. He said, well, he really is one of your biggest fans. And I said, uh, <laughs> the manager here at the theater. And John Waters said, wow, running this place must be something. Uh, um, <laughs> so anyway, he went into the theater and he was with this blonde woman. And I was starstruck. I it's like, oh my God. So I, I got mad at myself and I was like, why couldn't you talk? So oddly enough, in my office, I did a pilgrimage years before to Baltimore with some friends and we visited John Waters' movie sites where they were filmed. And this is strange, sorry. We had a picnic on Divine's grave. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it's not the first one, yeah. At the cemetery with Divine, yep. That was, right. This was years ago. I was in my 20s. So I had some pictures of that. And outside of the Senator Theater, it's much like the uh, forecourt of the Chinese where they have their premieres there. They stamp the concrete with the movie artwork and then have all the stars sign. Obviously, all the John Waters movies are a lot of them premiered there. So I had pictures of the sidewalk of... Um, Cry Babies and Serial Mom. So I, I had them at my bulletin board downstairs in my office, right. including my picture of Divine's Grave. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to violate my policy and ask him to sign these. So I took a black Sharpie, took my pictures off my bulletin board, went upstairs. The movie hadn't started yet. And he was sitting second person in the, the blonde lady that was with him was on the aisle. So I kneeled down not to be obnoxious and not to like really be seen by anybody else. I was like, Mr. Waters, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I was a babbling idiot before. I really am a huge fan. And I said, I would really appreciate it if you'd sign these for me. And I gave him the pictures. He pulled his glasses out and uh, he looked at them. He's like, he saw the Divine's Grave one. He said, wow, you really are a fan. So he started signing them and then he signed the Crybaby one. And he looked at the blonde lady and I'm leaning over her lap. He said, oh, you should sign this for Joe too. You're in this. And it was Patty Hearst. So oh, wow. leaning over Patty Hearst. <laughs> Footnote. Patty Hearst is the daughter of American publisher William Randolph Hearst and was best known for being kidnapped in 1974 by the Symbionese Liberation Army. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, so it was it was a great day. So I met John and Patty Hearst. And then from that meeting, John made sure that New Line invited me to the 25th anniversary screening of a premiere, if you will, of Pink Flamingos that happened at the Angelica Theater. And I went and got to go to the after party. And got to sit and, and do shots and talk to Mink Stoll and Mary Vivian Pierce, who were the loveliest Wow. <laughs> um, and have tons of pictures with them. Footnote. Mink Stoll and Mary Vivian Pierce were both actors who were in John Waters' regular stable of characters. So that was pretty, uh, wow. pretty great evening. Well, now, Kathy mentioned Madonna. What's the Madonna story? The Lincoln Square IMAX Theater, as I mentioned before, you know, had a movie called Across the Sea of Time, New York 3D, and everybody wanted to see this movie. Footnote. Across the Sea of Time, New York was a 3D movie released in 1995 that followed a Russian stowaway to New York Harbor. So, you know, publicists would call us all the time and ask to get seats, hold seats for the stars. Sure. You know, we had Michael Jackson. He had a surgical mask on, much like everybody does nowadays. Um, he was such a trendsetter, was, wasn't he? In the service <laughs> elevator, yeah. You brought, them, you brought him up to the, through the service elevator, right up to the IMAX level, so they'd have to go up that big escalator, escalator. And, and walk through and, and get bothered by people. You know, honestly, the stars walking through would get really, mobbed. You know, yeah. yeah, just because there were a lot of tourists there, too, watching the IMAX movie. So I got a call from a guy who said he worked for Madonna and she wanted six tickets for the movie. Okay, fine. Save the tickets. She doesn't show up. Next night, same phone call. Doesn't show up. Third night, I get the call again. And I said, look, I don't know who you are. We don't have time for this. I said, we're very busy. I said, now this is going to be, you want, this is now going to be the 18th seat that I've held because you six times three. I said, you know, we've lost revenue and we could have sold them out. 
I said, let Madonna come and pay for her own tickets. He's like, no, sir, no, sir. She's really coming tonight, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of stars would come in line and pay for their own tickets. They, they, yeah, well, that's they, a New York thing too, you know, yeah, New York. They totally yeah. would. Like Harrison Ford, Robin Williams, he couldn't pull them out of the line. They, right, they didn't right. mind that, you know, their fans were talking to them or anything. They didn't want anything free. They they weren't, you know, they, they were great. But anyway, right. so Madonna, I hear this woman in the, ba- in the background. I'm on this call telling this guy that, you know, let Madonna buy her own tickets. And this woman grabs the phone and she's like, who's this? And I said, this is Joe. I'm the theater manager. You know, I don't know who you are, but whatever. She goes, well, this is Madonna. I'm really sorry. I couldn't show up the last two days. And I was like, oh. and she said, what? I said, Madonna just apologized to me. She, she started cracking up. She said, I got to meet you. I'm like, okay. Uh, so I met them at that night and I took her up in the escalator. So that was a fun night. And, you know, I'd subsequently been invited to some events with her. So it was really cool. We're going to be running this right before Christmas. What are the ones you're looking forward to? What are the ones you think are going to make the big splash for Christmas this year? The big splash, I mean, obviously, Avatar is going to be huge. Right. Um, Coming up on on the 15th, it comes out that Thursday night. It's the only big movie coming out on the 16th. That 21st, 23rd window, there are three big Christmas movies coming out, Puss in Boots, uh, the Whitney Houston biopic, okay. Want to Dance with Somebody, and then Babylon. That's the one I want to see, of course. It's really good. Is it? Well, he hadn't it's done really a bad good. movie yet, so. it's It's really good. Um, December 30th, there's nothing coming up, but I mean, between Avatar and then those three movies, that's going to have to carry our Christmas. So yeah. we're hopeful that uh, that does that. But then January 6th, we hit again, the Sony movie, Megan. Watch that trailer if you haven't seen it yet. It's a really cool know. movie. It's sort of a doll comes to life, like a child's play thing, but a modern take on it. And it looks so good. And, you know, the one I'm really looking forward to has a limited uh, run coming out in New York and L.A. on the 23rd. Uh, but wide release on the 13th is A Man Called Otto. Oh, yeah, the Tom Hanks movie. Yeah. I've seen the trailer at the theaters. That movie's supposed to be great. It really is. Is that a remake of a Scandinavian film? I'm not sure. It seems vaguely familiar, like I've seen it maybe a Swedish film, but I could be wrong. Footnote. Turns out I was right. A Man Called Ove was a 2015 Swedish film that the new Tom Hanks movie is based on. I am also the president of the Theater Historical Society of America. I've been the chair of the board for the last, I think, seven years. Which is why you know so much about all these old theaters. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We bought a, a historic theater that was about to be sold to uh, be converted to a Dollar Tree. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> it was Pittsburgh's last remaining historic big neighborhood theater. Uh, we took it over and made it a first-run theater, and it's still operating to this day. But Man Called Otto was filmed in Pittsburgh. And oh. one of my very good friends who used to work for me as an assistant manager in upstate New York in the early 90s, has been for the last like 20 years working with Tom Hanks in all of his movies. So they were in Pittsburgh filming this movie as they were filming the Mr. Rogers movie before that. And Mr. McFeely from Mr. Rogers, David Newell, uh, the real Mr. McFeely, wasn't part of that movie until I introduced him to my friend John and John introduced him to Tom Hanks. And then all of a sudden, Mr. McFeely was sitting in the movie with Mrs. Rogers. In the Mr. Rogers movie, there's a scene in a restaurant and you look at these two people where Mr. Rogers is sitting with somebody talking and there are two people looking at them. That's the real Mr. McFeely and Mrs. Rogers. Oh, cool. So, you know, the movies were filmed in Pittsburgh. Tom Hanks is a fan of old theaters. So, you know, he would come to the movies and we just let him sit in the balcony and close the balcony off for just him and his party. Very gracious guy. Very, very nice. Uh, But Man Called Otto was filmed in Pittsburgh and I'm hoping that, you know, we can do a little premiere there. Speaking of old theaters, obviously you're into historic theaters. I know it's a little bit of a sacrilege, but did you go visit the bird while you're here? I love the bird. I absolutely love that theater. And every time I'm in Richmond, I endeavor to go to a movie there. I really think it's a special, special place. And Richmond is so lucky to have it. 
I know a regularly operated movie house that looks like that. It's incredible. So the last question I always like to ask everybody is what are you watching when you get to just chill out? You don't have to do it for work. You don't have to go to a screening necessarily. What would you watch? Maybe I dare say it streaming. You know, I have every cable service and every streaming service available. My cable service has, I don't ever really watch TV, but you know, last week I was bedridden with COVID. Uh, so I caught up on Dead to Me. I binge watched that. Oh, you never, it's a fun show because every episode, in case I've reviewed it and actually I just finished the final. Every episode ends with like, what? Yeah. And I got to uh, meet Christina Applegate two years ago. The, the Golden Globes, the last one right before COVID, um, I was lucky enough to be able to go. There were two people I wanted to meet. Um, like I said, I don't really get starstruck with these two. I was like, oh. one was Carol Burnett, three people, but I didn't approach right. her. She was so nice. But uh, Christina Applegate, I have pictures with her and I talked to her for a few minutes and also Tony Collette. So they were, oh. they were pretty cool. I, I'm a really big Christina Applegate fan. I will watch reruns of Married with Children. And it's cool that she got her mom and dead to me too. Yeah. And was there for their recent, that was heartbreaking to see her with the MS at the uh, Walk of Fame ceremony a couple of weeks ago. Right, right. I read about that. that. Um, yeah. Her mom and brother from the Married with Children show were there supporting her, oh. as well as the, some of the stars of her new show, too, Dead to Me. But I've always right. been a fan of hers. I like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And she had a couple of other TV shows called One with Samantha Who that I thought was quite good. Like I said, I'm talking about TV shows, but I really don't ever watch TV. It's hard for me to watch a movie on TV. Right. Yesterday uh, or over the weekend, I found one of my uh, Charlie Moss circling back to BS Moss Theaters and Bowtie. Charlie produced three movies in the early 70s, and I'd seen Let's Scare Jessica to Death, which is the most famous one. Right. But there's another one. We have these posters up and some propaganda, not propaganda, some memorabilia um, in our offices from these movies. And the second movie was called Stigma. And I'd seen the poster. I'd seen the trailer. Never seen the movie. It's on one of those streaming apps. The, called, the, freebie, uh, the freebie ones or the... Yeah, the freebie the ones. On, right, it's on AVOD. Film, it's on FilmRise. And, you know, even though it had commercials every 15, 20 minutes or so, it was really cool to see. So it's, it's a very unique, very time-appropriate dated movie. There's nothing that can replicate or replace the movie-going experience for that reason, and also for the shared common bond experience that you need with other people. Right. Especially for so, comedies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, Joe, I want to thank you so much. This has been a fascinating interview. I've learned a lot about you and about uh, the industry that I didn't know. So thank you so much again, and good luck with the holiday thank season. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you at the movies. That was Joe Masher, Chief Operating Officer of Bowtie Cinemas, that of course runs Movie Land here in Richmond. There are links to some of the stuff we discussed on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon, in theaters. Babylon, from Damien Chazelle, comes his latest fascination with Hollywood. This one's set in the 20s when L.A. was especially decadent, starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. The Whale, Brendan Fraser, plays a reclusive 600-pound English teacher. Wildcat, from the producers of Tiger King, comes this documentary about a British-Afghan war vet who befriends a baby ocelot. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, the animated cat has used up eight of his lives and must try to restore them, with Antonio Banderas back voicing the kitty. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, is a new biopic about the singer. TV and streaming. Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan on Amazon. John Krasinski is back for a third season. Speaking of third seasons, Emily in Paris returns to Netflix. Homeward Bound, a Grammy salute to the songs of Paul Simon on CBS on the 21st or Paramount+. Plus. Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery on Netflix. This sequel, which played local theaters for a week in November, gives the Southern Detective, played by Daniel Craig, a new mystery. Also starring Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, and Janelle Monae. 
The Witcher Blood Origin, also on Netflix. This is a four-part prequel to the original series, but does not feature Superman Henry Cavill. They cloned Tyrone on Netflix. Jamie Foxx, working a wild look, is part of a trio trailing a government conspiracy in this retro black exploitation homage. The 45th Annual Kennedy Center Honors on CBS on the 28th includes George Clooney and Gladys Knight. That's it for this week. You know you can subscribe to this podcast by going to tvjerry.com, clicking on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.